This podcast is shareable. Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Today on Shareable, I'm excited to share a conversation with you with Zach Montroy. So for the listeners who are not familiar with you, what are a few of the most important things someone should know about you? Yeah, I am a dad and a husband first. Uh, my wife, Jackie, and I have been married uh, since 2009, and uh, she's a clinical social worker therapist. Uh, we have three adopted boys, uh, 10, 9, and 6. Uh, so love being a dad, love, um, you know, being a husband and uh, run a, a company called the Intention Collective. We started earlier this year and we help grow and scale companies with a really a, a focus on health and purpose and making sure that, you know, we are focused on doing meaningful work and in the way that we actually carry that work out. Absolutely love that. Uh, my mission statement is to make the world kinder, safer, and more equitable. So uh, I'm excited to have you on here today. Um, I ask a big question at the beginning because I like to see how people react to this, but also I think it's a really piercing, deep question that we get to. But what's the dent you wish to make in the universe? What are you here for? What are you trying mm. to do? What are you trying to leave behind? Yeah, I'm trying to leave behind courageous teams and really meaningful work. I think all of us have the opportunity to come to work every day and be a part of a team that enjoys being there, that we have a psychologically safe workplace, and you know that leaders are leading as the best versions of themselves. I think you know growth and scaling companies can come in many different ways. When we prioritize how we do the work, uh, you know the the way in which we are leading, I think we have the opportunity to create uh, you know, really meaningful workplaces and great cohesive teams. And so, you know, in I, at my retirement party, I hope people say that I was generous with my time and my resources. I hope they say that I did a good job at connecting with other people and really helping others live out their unique abilities. I love it. I feel like we're cut from the same cloth. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really digging everything you're saying. I want to push deeper into that dent before we move forward past it. When you talk about creating, you know, work environments that people love coming to, doing meaningful work, um, in in concept, I totally understand that. And I think everybody wants that. I'm curious for you personally, getting to know you as my guest today, yeah. what does meaningful work mean to you? What does it mean to do meaningful work? Like, I guess it's sort of like the, the so what question, so that they yeah. can do what, so that what impact can happen, so that what change can take place in this world. Yeah, I mean, I think we all know we spend a lot of our lives or a lot of our waking hours for sure at work every day. And I think, you know, for, for most people, I mean, Gallup has done a lot of research on this. We sort of just do the mundane thing. We go and, you know, punch the clock nine to five. And I think when when I think of meaningful work, I really think of uh, a connectedness as a fellow human being in the workplace 
and really the understanding of what is my unique ability and how do I leverage it in the place that I'm working at? You know, I think it doesn't matter what what the what the job, you know, teacher, uh, social worker, uh, you know, person on, you know, an assembly line. I think we can all find meaning in our work every day. And certainly when we are getting the opportunity to, to do that with other people, the environment that we foster, especially, you know, and, and that really kind of comes down to leaders and how well that they are leading. I, I think this, this idea of meaningful work really comes down to helping every person understand their unique ability, their giftedness, their genius, and how they can put that to work, whatever the task whatever the job and responsibility, how is that, you know, how is what they are doing and what they're contributing meaningful to the overall mission, vision, direction of the organization that they're working in? So, um, so we've only just met, uh, and this is our, our first in-depth conversation together, but uh, fun facts about me. Uh, I wrote a book called The Lovable Leader, which is about building great teams mm. with trust, respect, and kindness. So I'm a big fan of creating workplaces that are built on trust and care and safety and creating environments where people can do their best work in a purpose-driven, meaningful way. Obviously, you got to pay people you know, properly, yes, uh, but yeah. there's all of these other elements to it, right? And on the other side of things, I'm a big fan <clears> of superheroes. Is maybe you can see my chair. It's a Spider-Man I love chair. it. My, um, my, my six-year-old son would love that chair, especially. Oh, most six-year-olds love me because I am basically <laughs> one of them. Um, love it. But, but on helping people to unleash their superpowers and, and find their gifts and then uh, develop the meta abilities to find new gifts is kind of my other core passion. So you are right in the same lane with me. Um, I have an origin story of where all these things come from for me. Mm. I, I can clearly trace back to my earliest memories and see the plot points along the way that led me to be this type of person. I'd like to know your origin story relative to this dent you wish to make to this work mm. that you do now that is clearly meaningful to you, that you've devoted yourself to, that you talk about, that you write about, that you lead on. I'm curious if you can connect the dots from where, how you developed into this person. What are the events that happened to you, the mountains you had to climb, the adversities you overcame, the traumas, the successes, mm -hmm. all of that kind of take us through quickly the, 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 the journey that got you here and why this is important to you. I love that. Such a big question. And then you yeah. put in like, and quickly tell us the story. Um, so I'll, I'll do well, just best. not like, I'll you know, I, best, yeah. I was born and <laughs> was born you know. in night. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I would say it, it. So grew up in a pretty lower middle-class family and knew from an early age that if I wanted to go to college, I needed to work during high school and had to pay my own way through college. And started working at a actually a toy store. I don't know if you remember KB Toys. They've since gone oh, yeah. out of business. But uh, actually, as a teenager, was given the opportunity to become a manager and then a, an assistant store manager and then a manager, which is just crazy now that I think about the fact that they had a 17-year-old kid, um, you know, managing grown adults at that point. But anyways... I, you know, in 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 order to be a manager there, you had to watch all of the leadership training videos, and they were like the cassette tapes. And I just remember thinking, like, I feel like leadership has to be more complicated than what we're co we're covering here. But okay, uh, and you know, just a, a lot of. I mean, I was a really bad leader uh, at that point. Was not equipped to be leading, and in college, ended up working at a place and had a very command and control type leader. In fact. One of the things that I remember him saying was, 
you know, you need to sit in a higher chair than everybody else because then everyone will know you're a leader. So very command and control, tell people what to do and they just need to do it and get it done. And for me, that was, you know, okay, I, I, I can do that, but it really feels like we're not being human to the people that we're working with. And I actually ended up getting fired from that job. I found out that my boss was stealing money, confronted him, was walked out of the building. But uh, that was really a crisis point for me. Like speaking of trauma, like, oh my gosh, I've invested all of this time and energy into trying to be a leader. What do I do now? Um, had finished a degree in marketing and um, kind of moved across the country. Was like, I just need to start over. Uh, and luckily had some amazing mentors and leaders along the way. And um, I, I think I just had this really strong work ethic. And as a 20-year-old, got promoted really, really quickly because I didn't feel like I could outsmart people, but I could certainly outwork them, outhustle. And, you know, I think, too, there, you know, the, the best things about us can be the hardest things about us really uh, put my identity in my work. And, you know, my self-worth was really wrapped up in what I could produce and what I could get done. And, you know, really got a, a chance to be challenged by some great mentors who really helped me understand, like, what does it mean to connect with people and be vulnerable and lead with emotional intelligence and develop self-awareness and so through that, ended up sort of rising through the ranks and ended up being in a COO role and really loved being able to put strategy to action and really sort of figure out what's the vision and direction of the organization. And then how do we equip people? How do we develop leaders to lead this and, and really get this done and enjoy the work, enjoy the place that they are, you know, that, that they're sort of fulfilling this mission in? and create great teams where people enjoy coming to work, where we're held accountable and we can conflict on things well and we trust one another um, and we can be vulnerable and courageous in, in what we do. And uh, so for me, that's that's really sort of the story and, uh, you know, kind of got, have you know, sort of classic uh, ADHD and, you uh, you know, doing that for just one organization was like, oh, okay, I can do this. It's getting a little boring. But uh, I had the opportunity to jump into consulting a number of years ago and uh, get to do this with a, a bunch of different companies all day, every day. And, you know, just absolutely love the work that I get to do. So many different threads to pull on. Um, you know, part of me wants to go back to what made you a bad leader back in the KB Toys teenage years. But I I actually think that there's a more um, interesting conflict that's more present that I want to explore with you, which is in your experience now that you work with lots of companies on this and you address the sort of work that you do from a certain perspective that you just kind of laid out, you know, helping people to lead with vulnerability and emotional intelligence, things like that. I'm curious, what is the primary conflict that you're often engaged in uh, and, and not necessarily a violent conflict, just more like the clash of ideas between what you're bringing to facilitate change versus what you typically see said differently. What do you think is the problem that's out there that um, that you're seeing needs to be solved by the sort of work that you're doing? How would you characterize it? What are the yeah. attributes of it? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the big conflict that is out there is we don't have time to lead in this way. We, you know, I, I okay, I'll give it to you, like whatever. But can't people just do what they're you're, they're told to do? Um, and we just got to get get the stuff done. And I think that there there's so much assumption making in that. There's so much assumption making that ends up happening in leadership. And really, when it comes down to it, there's just there is a, a giant lack of clarity um, in understanding, you know, what is it that you want your team members to be doing? And are you giving them the resources and the clarity and autonomy to actually produce the results and get to to where or, you know, what wherever that point is um, that we want to be? And so I think you know, the, the big things, the sort of the big, uh, the big problems that we're trying to solve is clarity, um, specificity, helping people understand their, you know, what their genius is and connect that to the vision and also, uh, you know, difficult conversations. I, you know, I think that there is just this general avoidance that we have in having hard conversations with one another. We're talking about people, not to people, and in that, you know, we see a lot of really bad leadership happening and a lot of really terrible things happening on teams because of those problems. You mentioned um, two words that caught my attention, and I was waiting for a third one that I didn't hear. And I want to ask you about it. So mm. you said clarity, and I think that mm -hmm. that's obviously very, very important. If you're not clear, then if people are not sure what they're supposed to be doing, then obviously they're going to have a mismatch of expectations versus results. Absolutely. And then you also said autonomy, which, hmm, okay, that's that's sort of um, not directly connected to the clarity part. It's more of an approach once you've given clarity. Like how do you give people the opportunity to spread their wings and do it in their own way? And that led me to thinking about how you talked about this command and control leader in your past. And I guess the word that I was waiting to hear you say was empathy. Now you talked about difficult conversations, mm. but I was actually expecting you to, to kind of go down the route of like the other thing that's missing is, okay, you give people clarity and you give them autonomy, but how do you have these difficult conversations? How do you engage in that? So digging deeper, imagine that we have a leader who is clear, very clear in their expectations mm. and they're giving these directives and they think that they're giving autonomy. Um, what, what are us are the missing components there? Because it can't just be clarity. It can't just be autonomy. There has to be more to this conversation. Sure. People aren't just motivated by having clear directions and being given no direction on how to do it because sometimes that autonomy is terrifying to people. So right. can you, you, I want you to paint the rest of the picture for me because mm. clarity and autonomy, I can see it. I, I dropped in empathy, which is my own splash of paint on your canvas here, but I'd like you to fill in no, the rest of the, the painting for me. What are those other elements that you think that great leaders really need to have to motivate, inspire, and and achieve the results they're looking for in a way that people are like jazzed to be there? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the fact that you said that, thanks for thanks for adding that in, because it, it is absolutely a necessary component to, to vulnerability. And we know um, you know, through a lot of research, search, and especially Brene Brown has done sort of led the led the forefront on this. But th this idea that we we really can't get to, you know, we have we can have clarity, we can have autonomy, and we also need vulnerability in a psychologically safe workplace. And empathy is is a key component 
to being able to be vulnerable and seen and being able to bring our whole hearts to work every day. Um, that's the the soul side of what we do. We can have great systems, we can have great processes, we can have great clarity, but how is it that we go about doing the work? Um, that that is uh, you know a, that is a, a key component and, and maybe the most critical component to I think meaningful, brave work. And you know you said what are the what are the most important attributes of uh, leadership? It's interesting. Um, there's a, a book called "The Only Leaders Worth Following" out, out there, and they did a lot of research on, you know, what are the attributes that make up the most ex exceptional leaders. Uh, you know, when we kind of look at the attributes of leadership, what, what's most important here? And it's interesting, you know, when whenever we ask that question, we kind of it bubbles up to about ten different things. And interestingly, most of them are all, you know, components of emotional intelligence. But 77%, uh, so more than three quarters of our effectiveness comes down to being inwardly sound and others focused as a leader. So I've done the work. I'm self-aware. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot underneath others focused. There's a lot underneath um, inwardly sound. But really, that's who leaders are. The other attribute is what leaders, the other attributes, I should say, are what leaders do. Um, and so I think, yes, absolutely, how we lead is critical to the work that is getting done, not just what we do and where we go, but how we get there together. I couldn't agree more. Um, I do a keynote talk called The Way of the Lovable Leader. Uh, comes out mm. of my book. And one of the central messages in the, in the keynote um, is that what leaders do is by and large the same across every discipline of leadership. What you do within a particular area is roughly the same. What differentiates is how you do it and how yeah. you do it comes down to right. so much about the relationship between people and things like that. Um, I want to touch on one more thing and I have another thing I want to double back to, but we, you mentioned vulnerability a couple of times throughout this. I had this really great guest on my show named Sarah Serrani, and we talked a lot mm -hmm. about vulnerability and um, I also talk about vulnerability um, in some of my work uh, in the Superhero Institute, right? I list it as part of the superhero code. And there's a couple different elements that I want to bounce off of you on. I kind of get your take on it and how it intersects with the work you do and the leaders you work with. So on the one side, there is vulnerability. And on the other side, there is the performance of vulnerability, which are two very different things. Um, mm -hmm. One is a genuine expression of sharing with someone that you feel safe and you feel comfortable with. And it is um, it is handing over to someone a certain amount of power with that information, whereas the performance of vulnerability is saying the right things in order to give the appearance of vulnerability. So is that you're using vulnerability as a tactic. And I'm curious when you use the word vulnerability for leaders, how deep do you go with them? How do you frame that for them so that they truly understand that there's a difference between knowing how to be vulnerable in a professionally appropriate and effective way versus mm. using it simply as a tactic to get something done, to get more productivity, to get people to work harder, to, to get them to share information that you can use against them. Like, how do you get them to truly understand the core of what vulnerability is actually about? Sure. Yeah. And I want to, I, I actually want to kind of go back to those definitions because I would not say that the performance of vulnerability um, in just what you, how you, what you just defined is manipulation. What you just defined is using shame as a management tool and tactic. 
Um, so I want to I want to distinguish that and say that's not on the spectrum of vulnerability. That yeah, is absolutely. that is for sure manipulation. That's for sure using shame to drive people. And you know, man, it, it, the other thing about vulnerability is vulnerability is not dis, just disclosure, right? Vulnerability is not you know, tweeting the, the details of my divorce to everybody. Vulnerability is not, you know, the number of times that you cry at work. Vulnerability really comes down to being able to show up and, you know, not need to control the outcome, you know, to lean into uncertainty. Um, vulnerability is that emotion of risk and leaning into um, emotional exposure. So, that feeling, you know, of uncertainty that sort of washes over us when we don't know the answer, when we don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm going to be willing to show up, I'm going to be willing to be seen, I'm going to be willing to be curious, um, and I'm doing the work of being emotionally self-aware and emotionally literate so that I can understand with empathy where other people are coming from. That's vulnerability. I mean, I, I've seen you know, C-suites of leaders and worked for leaders who would not for a second be vulnerable, who, you know, with their work and, you know, disclose tons about their personal lives to people. And, you know, been in the midst of, you know, manufacturing, you know, assembly lines and been surrounded by leaders um, who were vulnerable with their work. So just because you have the title or, you know, or position or pay does not make you a, a vulnerable leader. Um, vulnerability really is that emotion of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And in leadership, the ability and behavior of putting yourself out there, not needing to control, um, and really showing up without being guarded. Um, and, you know, there's a lot underneath that, but not telling yourself stories about people and, really the willingness to get it right, not be right, I think. I dig that. Um, I'd, I'd imagine, I know you do a lot of work, not just in leadership, but uh, the very obvious uh, dovetail to that, the culture work. Mm -hmm. And I'd imagine that you would agree that in order to create an environment where vulnerability is possible, you have to create a culture in which safety is everywhere so that you have the the safety, you feel secure enough to be able to say, I don't know, to be able to say I made a mistake, to do all of those sorts of things. Right. Um, but I want to tie that actually back to a, something that I heard us talk about towards the beginning. Heard uh, You said something in passing, and I don't know if you meant this in uh, in a literal way or if you meant it in a more figurative way, but you said when you mentioned the transition from working for one company to working as a consultant, you mentioned ADHD. So I have ADHD and I'm on the autism spectrum. So I don't know if you meant that clinically or if you meant that figuratively, but um, in whatever way you meant it, I'm curious how that factors into your perception of culture, how uh, the need for multiple things, the need for different styles of working, any of the things that that means to you. I'm curious how that factors into the work that you do in culture how that relates to vulnerability and how it relates to safety. Yeah, that's a great question. And I am speaking more clinically. Um, and, you know, we, we, we have, uh, we have a household of ADHD. My wife is the only person uh, without that diagnosis in our family. And uh, luckily she's a clinical therapist. So she's equipped to deal with all of us, uh, all of us men in our house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting that you ask this, and we're 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 actually right now in the midst of forming some curriculum um, 
really based on how do we, as leaders, how do we create sort of a trauma-informed um, workplace and in, in, in leadership? Because I think that there's a huge contributor there to uh, psychological safety and brave work. Uh, it's so interesting. I was on a call with someone yesterday and he said, you know, it's it's so discouraging when you sit at a conference and you hear a speaker that just, you know, is like, you just have to develop better habits, better habits, better habits, better habits. And, you know, if you do something six times, it's going to be a habit. With people with ADHD, like that is not, that does not mean it is a habit. Um, and there are a lot of, there's a lot of accommodations that you have to kind of make for yourself and really figuring out how do I sort of manage this? Because again, I believe like ADHD can be a gift. Like there is, you know, we, we see that entrepreneurs and founders of organizations uh, are, you know, have three times the clinical diagnosis of ADHD than the generative general population. Um, I mean, there's something in there, right? Like there's creation and starting and taking risks that can be really good. And it can also be the worst thing about us, right? Like the, the hardest things and best things about us all live on the same continuum. And so I think, you know, when it comes, when it comes down to leadership and in how we lead, how we show up, I think that there is, you know, we're not all neurotypicals, right? And uh there, if you truly want to help people understand how to utilize, leverage, live out their unique ability, their genius, you've got to get messy. And that's vulnerability. Um, that's connection. Um, that's empathy. And I think that we have, we have lived, uh, we've been told this lie that, you know, we just check all of who we are at work every day and just show up. Um, you know, what was that? What's that show? Is it called? It's not called severance. Um, where he oh, like goes uh, down. Yeah, 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 no, severance. It's uh, severance. Yeah, yeah. yeah where they like where wipe they, your they brain. Become two different, two two different people. At yeah, work and, yeah. Like you Great exactly. Show, like yeah. I, yes, and I really do believe that many, many leaders think like, okay, well, yeah, they just check who they are at the door when they come into work every day. Like that's not what happens. Not yeah. what happens. Not at all. Well, I'm so uh, I'm I'm so interested to hear that um, that for you it is actually a, a diagnosis because it it helps to make more sense. Now it also makes sense why we immediately fell into a good conversation rhythm, neurodivergence, talking to one another, it always falls into a good rhythm. Um, But it's also interesting because, you know, as I am super interested in safety and in culture and in leadership and in creating environments where people are free to be themselves and unleash their unique gifts, it's interesting that both you and I have an interest in that and that we're also both neurodivergent. And for me, I know it comes from a space of feeling like I didn't have the right to to show my unique gifts because I didn't, I wasn't able to do the other things that other people could do. So I felt like mm-hmm. I was trying to do everything that I thought I was supposed to be able to do. And I, I try to, you know, hide this other part of myself. And it wasn't until I got, you know, later in life and more confident to be able to say, look, this here, this is who I am. This is how I operate. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. Here's what you can expect from me and where you'll see greatness. And here's the other stuff that kind of comes along with that. Um, so it's interesting that so many of us kind of, as you mentioned, like many people in the C-suite, tending to be on the more neurodivergent side of things. Um, It's kind of interesting also that a lot of us that are in the work of creating uh, or attempting to create cultures that are more inclusive and more uh, accepting and safer and those sorts of things came from a background of 
feeling different as we go through it and feeling like maybe it wasn't safe for us to say. And then mm. vulnerability kicks into there, right? Like, is it safe enough to say, oh, no, I had an executive dysfunction day yesterday and I didn't get anything done at all. But I hyper-focused yeah. uh, uh, last night between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. and I got everything done, plus mm. got ahead of the next thing. P.S. I'm taking today off, right? Like, that's that's not a mm. thing that's it's usually safe to say. And when you talked about the the speakers, they get up there and they say, oh, you get to form better habits, better habits. Makes me think of the number of people throughout my life that said, oh, you should just like keep a journal. Like you should just get like a notebook and like a day planner and then just plan your, it's like, bro, you didn't think, you don't think I felt that? I have like 25 of these. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah, I've got 25 <laughs> planners that I've written a lot They're of all stuff empty. in and then I've like, yeah, I did. Well, I, I, have one I week. will usually like write a bunch of stuff in them and I'm like, I, where did I do with the journal yeah. or like, you know, three months later, like, Oh gosh, I wrote a bunch of stuff down. I should probably go look and see if I actually finished that or not, you know? Yeah. Forgot about yeah. it the next day. Yeah. So um, it's, it's so interesting where I want to go with this next is I want to actually talk to you a little bit about um, get a little bit more specific about the work that you do. Cause um, mm. when we were initially talking, you sent over a lot of things for me to look at and it was all very interesting, the kind of approach that you take. So I was curious if you could kind of break down a little bit of like what your approach is when you go and you talk to leaders, like what's kind of the assessment and then what are the things where the areas you kind of go to work on. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the, the sort of, and then what, so meaning what is the transformation that gets to occur when you're successful in the sort of work you do? Mm. What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah, the first thing that we do is really uh, help owners, leaders of companies that, and, and you know, when we kind of go in, we we typically are working with companies who like have a couple of leaders or one leader who really feel like I'm carrying the weight of the entire company on my shoulders. And this idea of you've got to be raising up a team of people that you can delegate work to, that you can empower um, to help you carry this burden um, and loosen control. I mean, like vulnerability is a big part of that, obviously, but we really, you know, come in and, and help them chart out with great clarity. What is it that you want? Where is it that you want to go? What's that destination that really is sort of the, that picture of where the company needs to, to be at in, you know, five or 10 years. And then we, we help them work backwards from there and really put a strategy to put, put a strategy into action that says, okay, if this is where we want to be, what does it look like um, for us in three years? And then how do we create sort of 90-day sprints of the most important work that we need to be doing as a team, as individuals, to accomplish that mission and vision? So at a high level, it really is like, where are we going? Why are we going there? What's that destination? And how do we reverse engineer a strategy and execute that strategy with excellence? But you know, there's a lot of great systems and tools that we can put into place to do that. And, and obviously, you know, helping people understand, um, you know, the, the scoreboard, we're keeping track of the right things. We are um, giving people the autonomy and responsibility and resources to act and to do their job and do their job well. Um, but also the the soul side, the the ethos side of who we are as a company, who is it that we are? What are we best in the world at? Why are we here? Um, what is the fuel uh, behind our economic engine? And I think when we start to clarify that, we really start to understand what is it that's going to get us traction as a company, and why should I, as an individual, as a you know contributor on the team, give my the the majority of my waking hours to this? And uh, in that work is really helping every leader uh, cascade and help each person on the team understand 
what's my unique contribution going to be to this this mission and this vision and how do i leverage my skills and my abilities and you know my whole heart who i am uh to what it is that we are trying to accomplish and so that's that's the work is really charting out what where are we going how do we get there and then how do we make sure every person on the team is empowered and excited about where we're going and understands their contribution and responsibility in helping us get there. I, I'm i so interested to learn more about your work. We only have a short bit of time left together. So uh, you and me will have to do uh, another maybe masterclass at some point. Yeah, and we can actually go really yeah. deep in it. So I want to, um, you know, as we move towards closing out, I want to ask you for a, a couple additional things. The first is if you could kind of give a few practical tips or something for someone who's been listening to this episode and they are interested in making a shift towards what we've been talking about, towards leading with the heart, towards being more vulnerable, towards being more emotionally intelligent in the way that they lead, building a culture of safety. What mm. are some of the kind of practical things you would say just to start with, like, you know, one to three things that you think are are things people could start with? Get a coach and or therapist. I heard definitely uh, a therapist. Brown. Yeah, I heard, yeah, or both. Yeah, I mean, yeah, or both. both. But um. Yeah, that's why I say and or. I should probably yeah. just start saying coach and therapist. Yeah, um, I would say Because I think you need both. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've never met an exceptional leader who didn't have both. Yeah. I, I just haven't. Um, I'd love to see that person. Maybe they've done the work with their coach or therapist, yeah. but I they think had you, a therapist you need someone. at the very least. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would say to uh, get mentors and mentors can be from afar, but there's so much out there. You've written a book. There's a ton of great resources out there on how do we start to, how do we start to create uh, an exceptional workplace, a psychologically safe workplace, a courageous workplace? How do we start to empower people? How do I start driving clarity? You've got to start getting things out of your head as the owner and taking and, and or leader and taking people along with you and trusting them, empowering them. Um, you know, seeing in them their skills and abilities and how that can be leveraged uh, for good for the company. So, I mean, I think there, you know, maybe the headline is be others focused. And, you know, I'll kind of add this in from that work that I talked about earlier, do the work of being inwardly sound. I love it. Um, what would you say is the clear takeaway from this whole episode? If you had to kind of summarize all the stuff we talked about and you you want people that have been listening, if they kind of got lost along the way, or if they were resonating with some things and not others, and you want to kind of say, okay, look, if, if you remember nothing else from this episode, mm. take this one jewel away. Yeah. Uh, I would say embrace the suck. Uh, leadership is not fun, fast, or easy. Uh, leadership can be very meaningful and very rewarding, but it's not an easy journey. And it's not about you. It's about the people that you get to serve. It's about the work that you get to be in service of. So embrace the work, do the work, embrace the suck. It's not, it's not supposed to be fast. It's not supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be easy. Awesome. Well, I want to do uh, as a, a way of finishing out the episode, I do something called the shareables. And this is the part where it's kind of like what you do on social media. You share stuff that you recommend mm. that you think is interesting. You tell people about it. So I got four shareable questions for you. And it's okay. four things that you would recommend uh, that people listening uh, go and uh, go and do. So the first one is what's something that you've read that you think everybody should read? 
Gosh, I'm reading this book called They Ask You Answer by Marcus, Marcus Sheridan, Sheridan right now. Yeah. God, that's it's an amazing yeah, book. Dude's uh, awesome. It's kicking my ass. So yeah. yes, I would recommend that one. It's a good one. I I, I second that. Um, what's something you've listened to that you'd recommend everyone listen to? This could be music. It could be uh, an audio book. It could be, it could be a podcast. It could be anything you want. But what's something that you've listened to that you think everybody should listen to this? Yeah, I am. I'm. Uh, my wife would say he should say that the new Taylor Swift album, because I've listened to that on repeat over and over Dude, again, we I might be the same myself. person. My I'm wife is a Swiftie as well. With that. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, a, I'm just, I love music. So we, li- I mean, we listen to all kinds of music in our house. Uh, and I would say if you have kids, I'll go with this one. Um, I was like vamping for a second to figure out my answer. Uh, the Masked Singer, if you have kids, is such a fun show. Like it teaches them music that you're, you know, music your kids should know. And it's just a fun, like everyone should listen to that music. It's it's just like okay. uplifting to your soul. Yeah. I hadn't thought about watching that with my kids. My wife has watched it before. And I was like, this show is just because I can't do any reality TV shows or anything like that. I, yeah, but, me either. But yeah. with the kids, it's so fun. I, yeah, that's a different angle, too. So I, I can appreciate that one. Um Third thing, what's something that you've watched that you think everybody should watch? It could be a TED Talk, it could be a movie, it could be a TV show or a TV series. It could be a YouTube video, video essay, whatever you want it to be. Something you've watched that you think everyone should watch this. Well, you know, I'll I'll blame this on the ADHD. I can't like remember outside of like what I'm currently like enthralled <laughs> yeah, with right the now. Last week. <laughs> we uh we're binge watching shrinking right now. And oh my gosh phenomenal i think it's on apple tv is that the one with um, um uh, jason what's his yes. name or is that the one with wolf Ferrell? okay yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah jason siegel um, yeah i mean Seagal, we are so. yeah we are we're big fans of ted lasso and we love those Amazing, shows but yeah. yeah shrinking is like it's a good it's one super fascinating right now okay especially cool. given the work we do me, me and my, my wife do yeah that makes perfect sense all right final question uh from the shareables is just what is something interesting that you've learned that you think people should know about and this is sort of the especially for someone with ADHD, this is the like, oh, I need to know that. And I Google it. Um, can cows swim? Um, that sort of thing. Like, what is that question that you learn something about and you want to tell someone about? It? Yeah. Wait. So can cows swim? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So, so I posted this, I found this meme and it was, uh, I'll send you the meme. I posted it on my, uh, my Instagram threads account, which I barely use and my Mastodon. And uh, it was very well received on Mastodon, but it was like, can it was like a person trying to go to sleep and it was just a brain that was like, can cows swim? Yes. And then he was like, probably not. And then you see, it's like a couple panels of him trying to sleep. And then he's like, ah, and he goes and he looks it up. Uh, it's really funny. I, they can, by the way. Okay. That's like, I, I couldn't end the episode without, without knowing, knowing that, yeah. that question. And there were going to be okay, cliffhangers so, for everyone listening on that one. They I know swim. that's amazing. I love that. Um, what should people, I, you know, that I will, I'll go back to the Marcus Sheridan book. Like I'm learning so much in that book right now. Like, why don't we just answer the questions that people are asking yeah. of us? And I'm like, goodness gracious, that is, seems really simple. And yet it's like mind blown. Um, so I would say right now, that's really, I mean, as someone with a marketing degree, like really reframing the way that I'm yeah. thinking about how we talk about what we do. Yeah. When I first heard him talking about that whole concept, what he did with the the pool company, Riverside or whatever it was, and mm-hmm. how he just answered all the questions. I was like, that seems so profoundly simple. Like, why did no one else think to do such a thing and right. have enough success to tell others about it? And everybody was stuck trying to like make quirky, edgy videos and whatever. And he was like, no, no, just actually answer the questions they're looking for the mm-hmm. answer to. And so brilliant. All right. Well, yeah. where can people go and connect with you? Where can they learn more about what you're doing, download something that you have for them to download, read something you've written uh, and find you leading the way? 
Yeah, we are. Everything's on our website. Yeah, everything's on our website, uh, intentioncollective.co. We have a lot of resources, a lot of free guides. Um, We do webinars a couple times a month to really help equip leaders. And um, so, yeah, I'd love love people to check us out there. We post everything to LinkedIn as well. So you can follow us. The Intention Collective uh, is on LinkedIn. Sweet. Expect to see all of those things in the show notes. And if you're listening, those, those things are in the show notes. There you go. Awesome. Um, all right. So to end the episode, the very, very final thing we do here on Shareable is we like to end with gratitude. So I told you that I wrote a book called The Lovable Leader. And what I like to do at this point in the show is I like you to think about when I say lovable leader, when you picture someone in your head from your life, from your past, from your experiences, lovable leader, someone who you clearly knew cared about you someone that you trusted and you could get the sense that they trusted you and that throughout the entire time you spent together, they made it safe for you to achieve and to accomplish and to pursue whatever it is that you had in your heart. And at this point in the show, what I do is I mute myself and I want you to speak directly to them, not to me. I'm gone. Mm. I disappear and say whatever is in your heart to say to that lovable leader to express gratitude for the impact they had in your life. Yeah. Thanks. That's such a neat opportunity. My the lovable leader, the the impactful leader to me uh, was a colleague named Kevin Williamson, uh, who was a mentor to me in my early days of leadership, who I still have a great relationship with today. And yeah, Kevin, just thanks for uh, taking a chance and risk on me. Thanks for challenging me, speaking to me with kindness and directness, and um, you know being a safe voice and, uh, you know, that encouragement, the coaching, the mentoring, um, has meant the world. Him, him and his wife, Marsha actually married, uh, Jackie and I, um, back when we were married. Uh, so yeah, just has meant a ton to me and, um, continues to, we actually were on a call earlier today. So, um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Jeff. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, And seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.